What is up, Internet? You'll be getting a call from my supervisor asking how my service was. My name is Matthew Kroll. And this was a bad miracle. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film. Nope. 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 You know what I should nope out of, which is something I forgot to do? Oh, it, well, what? something that I noped out of hard is I get re- I have um, uh, OCD about uh, grammatical errors. Sure. And, and and I made a grammatical error on our on our description of last week, and it has bugged me to no end because there was no way to correct it in time. It was already gone. It was out the gate. And I know I pick on you for grammatical errors when we do tweets and stuff. <laughs> but this and I looked at this one and it was like this was my own fault. And that was, <laughs> and that was the uh, the the spelling of there versus there. Ah, uh, well, I-R I, versus E-R-E. You know what I would have said if you'd asked me to change it? Yeah. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Uh, we here. I gotta, I gotta tell way. you. I gotta tell you. Oh wait, okay, go ahead. I'm, I'm gonna preface this episode, and I hope I'm not too high energy for everybody. I've been saving all of my good mood for right now, Ooh. Um, because today was a day. Uh, she here very nicely moved to the recording of this episode during the week because I had a prior engagement in our normal recording time, and uh, I had uh, seven <laughs> full meetings today. Oof. Seven full meetings and every time i'm like okay just five more fucking meetings for the podcast okay just four more fucking meetings till i can talk about nope like it it like drove me it got me through so if i like have like a sort of pent-up energy and i really start like getting into things and shaking and getting really really loud and excited about stuff uh that is why it has been the driving force of my entire being today to keep me from going fucking insane has uh were any of those meetings could they have been emails Four to five of them could have been emails. Could have been ravens. Uh, um, I yeah. Uh, uh, mm. I, I look, I, as far as meetings go, I love having personal... Like, I, I do think a lot gets done when you actually talk to someone because there's so much misinterpretation sure. that happens in messaging. But there is this thing which is like, sometimes you're just like, bro. Well, what I don't li- get... Yeah. Let, let, now it's a podcast <laughs> about meetings. What I don't get is why a meeting that has to describe a specific thing can't just be five minutes. Yeah, yeah. I just, is this I, happening? What's going on? How do we do this? Yada, yada, yada. Great. Oh, do we have a question here? Good. All right. And I understand if the process is longer than that. Yeah. But if it isn't, <laughs> let's fucking go. Um, yeah. No, it didn't. Look, I, to be perfectly honest, I liked every person I talked to. Yeah. But... Um, Man, oh man, oh man. <laughs> Seven meetings will destroy anything else you have to do in the day. Um, so it's literally seven meetings. I actually ordered dinner, which I never do anymore, and just to be eaten up in time for this to do the graphic and to talk to you about nope. So here we are. That preamble is all done. I'm fucking here to talk about flying saucers and Jordan Peele and horses. Well, well, and- well. I'm going to slow your roll there. And Why? Hold your Why would you? Just a little bit. Because you one the thing horses. that should have been an email and was, in fact, an email <laughs> was the emails that we received at OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone who's been writing us in for the last few weeks. We have been... Uh, Shahir, you know, would you, if you asked me, <laughs> if you asked me, could there have been a better transition into emails? Do you know what I would have said? <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> I was holding on to that one as you were talking about emails. Um, the uh, Everyone has been writing us in and we have, del- we have been absolutely 
uh, delighted with the the emails that we have been getting. But unfortunately, we wanted to tether, tether um, parse them out over time, and so that is what we are going to do today. So for the next few weeks, there will be emails read at the top of every episode, and I will try to in in amongst writing the correct grammatical spirit, spelling of there, also try to add time codes to our episodes so you can know how to skip the emails if you want to. But don't skip the emails because the emails are great. They provide you with great information that is useful to your film-going life. Like yeah. this first question from Stephen about fan edits. Hello again! I was wondering what your take on fan edits were. Me? I wasn't a fan originally. They seemed like a bastardization of an artist's creation. What is to be gained by chopping a two-hour movie down? But recently, my stance has changed. And I think it was because of a longer-form storytelling of television has frankly become too long it's like an extra 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 film cut out of two uh, uh or two of cut footage this is all leading up to the recent obi-wan kenobi fan edit that's been making rounds. a bloated flourish hour show got pared down to a two and a half movie and it's not terrible dare i say an improvement on the uneven canon breaking and utterly unnecessary addition to star wars Whoa. the sideline of the inquisitors helps i don't know what that means obviously I'm known for my aren't 90 minute movies just the best, so I could be biased towards the, uh, uh, a less is more approach. Any chance of a special episode on fan film or a more robust discussion? We'd love to hear what you guys have to say. All the best, Steve. Interesting. Right. Now, now let's I clarify. See a few Steve. Things. Yeah. I see Steve has turned to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's clarify a few things. Uh, what does the sidelining of Inquisitors mean? Is that a spoiler? Do we need to discuss that? Uh, it's, it's a, one of the plots in Obi-Wan Kenobi that isn't directly tied to what's going on. They're, they're more of a force that sets things off and then they just kind of don't matter anymore. Is it like the Watchers Uh, in Marvel? No, no. It is, they're like a, um, they're like an, uh, uh, (laughs) <laughs> a faction of the empire. Okay. They're like a speci- they're literally like the name isn't a clever like uh hint at something out. They're literal inquisitors. Okay. Uh, irrelevant to the question of fan edits uh, of which Steve is now becoming somewhat of a fan of. Now I recall uh, He's edited it- his own personal opinions about fan edits. Uh or changed them. Is that an edit? That's an edit is a change. Yeah, regardless. Uh, I recall back in the day, one of the most famous fan edits was Topher Grace, of all people, from that 70s show and Spider-Man 3 uh, and the Oceans movies, by the way, um, making a fan edit of the prequels of mm-hmm. Star Wars in, uh, and taking all three movies and condensing them down into one singular movie. And apparently that fan edit was quite good. And he's done a few other fan edits, uh, if I'm not mistaken. He might have done one of The Hobbit uh, as well. So famously um, taking uh, elements uh, from existing movies, which Steve, in this case, might have uh, uh, regarded as superfluous, unnecessary, extra long, and con- cutting them down. Now, um I'm going to quickly chime in on my two cents as a as a filmmaker, uh, which is uh, two things. One is because uh, because I, I was actually in New Zealand recently talking to someone who worked on uh, the Peter Jackson uh, documentary, um, uh, the Beatles documentary. I forgot what it was yeah. actually called. Um, and that Get is back. Uh, so what was it called again? Get back. Get back. Get back. And it's it very long. But I had said to this person, uh, you know, and and this person actually, uh, look, they've been on the show, Stephen Gallagher. Uh, they <laughs> they gave me some tips about like where I could dive in if I didn't have the time to watch the full series. And my point was, it was like look you guys worked on the show and there is a specific there is there is a reason 
for the re for why you have chosen it to be this long. And I want to respect that reason. And I want to watch it with, with all the best intention. I can disagree with it. I can not like it, what have you. Um, but I want to give it the full attention uh, that it deserves. So I'm also trying to carve out some time to watch uh, Get Back. By the way, they were just he was recently nominated for an Emmy yeah, uh, yeah. for that. So that's great. Um, so I respect. Uh, I want to respect the original intent, whether I like it or not. The second thing is, though, I do also appreciate that um, fans, uh, people who uh, watch the show, can take the material that is being created by the artist and remix it, figure it out, redo something with it, change it, alter it, make it better, make it worse, um, whatever it is they want to do. I think. I think uh, part of the discord, uh, discourse of art is is interpreting art transforming it remixing it changing it into something new um also just just trying to just just adding your two cents on it and seeing how that how that plays out um so i i actually think that is better and like i don't think this uh the case of the fan edits that steven's describing it is and the thing that tova grace did uh detracts or diminishes what the original art was there's no there's no money being exchanged for it it is just a new interpretation of it um so that's the, the sort of two feelings i have about this matt do you mm. what are your thoughts um i've never seen a fan edit that i liked better like it, overall mm-hmm. i would say even the topher grace episode one two and three thing forever ago it's been so long i'm sorry <laughs> i'm not remembering specifics but like like I was like, oh, this is a fun exercise, hmm. but like it never struck me as a better film even than the prequels. And I don't know if that's me falling into your first camp a little bit or whatever. I think people should be able to do whatever the hell they want with stuff. Yeah. Personally, I like it when the fan edits, and these aren't full edits. These are just I would just more put them in the 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 category of parody. Uh, take something existing and turn it on its head, like Shining, the uh, romantic comedy trailer for the film The Shining. Like or, uh, I, Hercules Returns or uh, yeah, Mystery yeah. Science Theater 3000. Yeah, like I like it when you take a thing and you transform it. Hell, I mean, this is on a smaller scale, but a lot of actually, you've been to one of these here uh, forever ago. We uh, the summer houses that uh, oh, right. we yeah. do. Yeah, uh, we all have these DJ sets, and we have DJ alter egos. I don't have an alter ego; I just hire one named DJ Duck Hunt Demon. <laughs> and what uh, he's done in the past is basically take the top, you know, whatever 15 dance tracks of the year and put them to different like movie and film and television uh clips and use them as backgrounds for like almost like extended or weird music videos there's a couple half hour long cuts where literally i've i've green screened dj duck hunt demon into game of thrones and like uh like uh uh i think thor ragnarok was on there like back in the day like so i love taking i love taking existing stuff and remixing it Mm. to be perfectly honest the idea of not transforming something so much and just doing a re-edit, like cutting extraneous things out or or timing changes or any of that stuff, I find interesting, but I don't find entertaining. Hmm. I think um, if, the, if the original artwork it doesn't uh, interest you enough, then uh, it's going to be a long uphill battle to, to convince yeah. you that a re-edit's going to make it better. And maybe it's a time thing too, right? Like I watched it. I'm like, okay, because like, Okay, this actually brings up a really weird, interesting thing about the concept of physical versus digital media. I'm not I'm not talking about the actual things. I know DVDs and Blu-rays and whatever are digital, but you know, fit like holding a disc of a thing in your hand versus whatever the streaming services are giving you. Movies are no longer 
uh, entirely finished or finite now. Like, like everything can be tweaked and changed in whatever. And whether it is the original IP holder, the company, the artist, etc., or a group of people, film. I I really like the idea of a film is done and it's released and it's over and you don't have to like. There's no patch notes. But but sadly, we're not at that time anymore. Like, because because the truth of any project is nothing's ever finished. You can keep working on shit forever. I like stuff to be done. So I guess that's where I end up with the concept of just a re-edit rather than a uh, homage or a parody or, or doing something greater than with the material. So I, I now that having been said, all that having been said, would it be interesting to do an episode on uh, a specific fan cut? Possibly. Hmm. I mean, I, because again, I just because I don't find them entertaining doesn't mean that I don't think that there's value to them. It's just something that I don't choose to engage with based on limited time on the planet. Right. So uh, if, uh, if we ever, because uh, we have we've decided we are abandoning the Star Wars franchise entirely after having done them for so long. That is but true. But we could be revi- uh, 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 revisited if we were to do the Topher Grace cut, for example. That would be the one. <laughs> that would be the one. Uh, the one specific exception to the rule. All right. Well, moving on then. Yeah, no, next email from uh, one of our favorite listeners, Anika. Uh, she says, hi, Matt and here. So I recently listened to your The Northman episode, and I wanted to say thanks for the shout out. Ah, yes, we read, uh, we read another one of Anika's uh, emails in that one. Uh, some thoughts while I, I had while I was listening. Oh, my God, I didn't realize Eric Northman and Alex uh, being the Northmen were the same made me chuckle. Uh, Interesting that folks left the theater really happy and excited for your particular screenings when you watched it. In my screening, uh, in the viewing of The Lighthouse, I loved it and everyone around me hated it. (laughs) So that's the opposite experience of what we had. This is interesting to hear and maybe reflects the mass appeal thing that maybe made it feel a little bit stripped down for Eggers. Question mark? Yeah. No, I 100% agree. Uh, She also writes, also, there was some moments... uh, where it was so earnest in the vengeance that I chuckled and was like, wait, I don't think I'm supposed to be laughing at this. <laughs> yeah, there was, I. this is me sidelining here. I definitely agree with that statement. Yeah. Uh, there was some interesting things there. And then she says, Matt, I will definitely need to check out that extra history series you were mentioning. That is the Ibn Fatlan uh, Viking funeral episode. Uh, yes, please let me know what you think of that. And she finally closed with, anyhow, I love listening to the pod. Currently listening to your folks' episode on the unbearable weight of massive talent. As an Arctic TikTok, as an ardent TikTok fan, I thoroughly enjoyed your TikTok conversations at the beginning. And Shahir, keep making those TikTok videos. Anyhow, hope you folks have a wonderful night. Thanks again for the great pod. Best, Anika. Thank you, Anika. Ah, thanks, Anika. I have yeah. not made any more TikTok videos. Shahir, <laughs> get on it, man. Get on it. Come uh, on. You've literally now been asked <laughs> politely in a nice email. You know what? You know what you should say. You know what uh, me and Anika say when you say you should stop making TikTok videos. Mm -hmm. Nope. Nope. You you should put that on a record, uh, like as a as a sound effect. Now you like no 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 no. It only works for this film. I Uh, um in terms of the Northman, yes, the Northman. uh, You know, it actually appeared on a couple of top ten lists recently, and I and I was (laughs) from people I know, and I was surprised by that. uh, To be honest with you. Um, but I would, you know, look, Robert Eager's, uh, third film in, just like the filmmaker we're about to talk to talk about today, um, has certainly cemented their place in the history of cinema and is someone that I will be, you know, probably watching their films for quite some time. Yeah. Um, so, uh, whether I would give the Northman another watch, whether there's a fan edit of the Northman, which makes the vengeance slightly less hilarious. All Uh, naked (laughs) ending fight scene. Go. I just, you, you know, the more I think about that film, the more, and, and again, I think it sort of, it, it, it boils down to maybe what I really liked about The Witch 
is that I felt that Anya Taylor-Joy's character was more interesting. And so she was. Yeah, she, I, yeah. I find... <laughs> the Northman is one of those films, this is a rarity, but follow me down here. I find, I I think, whenever I rarely think about The Northman, I'm always like, oh yeah, that was pretty neat. But I also know in the back of my head, I'm like, nah, you're remembering something like a little bit modified. You're doing your own fan edit fan in your edit head, your I think, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I know for a fact I would feel the exact same way uh, going back. All right. Thank you, Nika, for that one. Here's one more from Kellen. Uh, and this is about a phenomenon that I am actually not that well versed in, but I've, I have oh, seen experience that, but I know you are. Uh, hey, man, Shahir, hope all is well, and you're both having a wonderful summer. This email isn't necessarily about a specific movie, but a movie-related piece of internet culture that I can't seem to escape. The... Nicole Kidman AMC Theaters commercial. <laughs> Between many episodes of this podcast over the past several months and a number of videos by the folks at Nebula, you all seem to love this thing. Sadly, I can't understand it, so I'm hoping maybe you guys can help me out. A bit of background. My local theater is an AMC multiplex. The next closest indie theater is a half-hour driveway, and the closest multiplex is about an hour away, so 95% of new movies I see are at our AMC. Nearly every single week for the past 10 months, I have to sit through this bizarre little thing, ad that I never understand. My girlfriend doesn't like it. My aunt doesn't like it. My parents don't like it. We all roll our eyes and sigh every time it starts. At none of the 40-ish screenings I have been to has anyone in the audience ever cheered or clapped. We all sit in awkward silence, begging for it to be over. So what is it that you folks in the big city New York are seeing in this commercial that we in small town New York are obviously missing? I do obviously love AMC. It's just that this ad that leaves me totally bewildered. Any help is greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Oh, boy, Kellen. <laughs> I, okay. All right. I have a couple theories. Okay. Hit me. Uh, so, Shiro, you've seen this at least once, I have right? seen this once, and I've seen it in a situation where people have applauded. And yeah. I, I, I definitely have a theory about it as well. Okay. So, I, I first and foremost, this is, and again, I don't normally buy into this stuff, and I don't think its popularity is based on what I'm about to say. This is a thing that was crafted from Nicole Kidman and her team of, like, high-end Hollywood people as a sort of, like, love letter to come back to the cinema, which is weird because it happens when you're at the cinema, so I don't know if it's supposed, to, like, in that regard, like, so it's supposed to but, convince but, you to come back, but you're already in the seat. Just, I, just to clarify, this isn't just this, Nicole Kidman was probably hired for this. This is this is an AMC spot, like sponsor, yeah, but AMC print. hired she. They wanted her, and she. I forget the story. Patrick Willems told me it. I forget if it was on the podcast or not. I'm right. sorry, but basically, like somewhere in the negotiations, like she wouldn't do it unless it was this team, and okay. then the the budget for this thing blew up. And, like, it's just become, like, a tiny short film that now we all have to sit through. <laughs> I don't think that's why it's effective. I don't even think it is effective. I think human psychology has taken it and ran a fucking 10K with it. I think, personally, mm -hmm. the memification of, of media has played a huge part. There are parodies of it. Will Temper, who was on our Elvis episode, did a, did a parody of this where the only movie she's watching is House of Gucci where Adam Driver and Nicole Kidman are having sex. It's like... <laughs> he did a fan it, it, it's a, it's a literal <laughs> fan. This is all tied together. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, parody. But the... the um, I think, personally... We come to this place for magic. <laughs> uh, I think we come to these particular places uh, for ritual. Mm -hmm. 
I think I think going to the theater has had rituals baked into it since before this Nicole Kidman thing happened and after. Whether or not it's the animated roller coaster selling you drinks or the dancing snacks or uh, trailers themselves. Now, also, Maria Menounos. Uh, for for the newbie minute or whatever the fuck it is now, like at AMC theaters, like all of these things, even though I find them pedantic and stupid and harsh, I've chosen the path of joy, <laughs> and I think, I think, having the element, I don't know, I don't, I don't think it's a big city, small city thing either, or maybe there's something that I'm missing to that, but like. I don't know. I love the the yucks of it. I love the idea that this stupid ad gets applause. I still applaud. Mm-hmm. And and inevitably, five or six other people, if no one did, start applauding. And then people laugh. Like it no one here this is the thing, at least so far. And I'll stop doing it. I'll stop doing it when you start laughing. Um the, the it brings a joy that normal like inter like interacting with the screen at standardized film screenings lack like doesn't have like no one's gotten mad at anyone for doing that at, at least publicly maybe someone has said something under their breath or like whatever but like everyone seems to be having a good time with it so i don't know what makes it a certain if it's a regional thing or like whatever like I don't know, Sheer, do you have any thoughts on like why like in the city it would be doing this, but not particularly maybe outside of it? Uh, I'm not uh, th- there's probably um, a collective experience that has to do with the city uh, that may be different to the countries. I, I, but I actually I, as soon as I said that out loud, I, I disagreed with myself right away. Um, I would just point to two films which actually explore um, this uh this phenomenon in quite beautiful ways one that's very good at, one that's actually excellent and one that's not not so good but points to it points to exactly the thing that we're talking about the first film that's absolutely excellent is tim burton's ed wood uh mm-hmm. when ed wood gets to watch um plan nine from outer space with an audience and they absolutely love it but not for the reasons that he thinks they're gonna love it right and and there's a quality to both the nicole kidman thing which is that you watch it with a sort of in understanding that there was a a desired outcome of this which was the sort of memorialization of what it means to go to the movie only to realize that this is not giving this is actually giving uh, a memorialization in the opposite spectrum which is that it's closer to what happens at cult screenings like a la the rocky horror picture show or plan nine for outer space or the movie that is the subject of the next film uh, that i would recommend uh that that explores this phenomenon in, in, in at least in some parts and that is uh james franco's the disaster artist yeah. which again has that moment where um uh the creator of the room whose uh name i have gone blank tommy wiseau come tommy on wiseau uh, is watching his uh, his intended masterpiece with an audience only to be met with laughs, chuckles, hilarity. And if you've ever been to a screening of The Room, that is what that communal experience is about. It is people throwing spoons at the audio, uh, at the screen. It is people talking. At the, there's a sense of expectation as in people have watched this thing over and over again and we are forced to watch it over and over again. So uh, rather than endure it, as Kellen is describing there, we are <laughs> engaging with it in a way that turns this thing that is probably uh, not the best artistic um, 
example of artis- artistic intent uh, making its way to the screen because it does not inspire the awe that we kind of talk about. It only makes us feel like, what were you thinking? Uh, and I think, um, so what we do then is we remix the experience. Um, and, and Not just it, entertained, yeah. somehow reborn. <laughs> reborn, exactly. So uh, that uh, in terms of the regionality of why that happens, uh, I would... S- uh, I actually don't have a clear answer for that um, in terms of why it happens in some regions and not others. Other than, um, you know, I think the same people going into the theater every time seeing it over and over again might have a different experience than new people. Every- I'm not exactly sure. But, but exactly to Kellen's sure. point, to Kellen's point, and again, I don't have an answer here either. Like, it sounds like like his entire family who goes to the movie a decent amount, <laughs> like they're not they're not having it. Yeah. I just, I guess, Kellen, here's what I would say. Next time you're at the theater, because you've seen it enough times by now, okay? So I'm going to guess that you probably know the words. I want you, not loud, either just under your breath or just mouthing it. Say, Talk along with it. Mime, <laughs> lip sync along with it. And I guarantee you by the end of it, you'll be laughing. <laughs> like, it, it's... It's it's dumb. It's the it's the AMC equivalent of its Morbin time. Like it's it's but like I think Shahir, your point is really, really, really correct. It's the inverse of what was expected. Yeah. And there's a perverse joy as well to seeing this apparently a very high-end team with one of the leading actresses of our time uh talking about the magic of going to the movies. Also in a sterile situation where she's alone in an AMC theater uh, in a sparkly jumpsuit talking with the most um, uh, uh, just I'll even use the term highfalutin terminology to describe the feeling that indescribable feeling you get when the lights begin to dim. And then it's like uh, dazzling images on a silver screen and it shows the Jurassic World gate and you're like, fuck you. And then it says sound that you can feel and it's La La Land. And you're like, what the fuck? Like none of it makes sense. It's bizarro world. And I think that's why I love it. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, Well, let's um, let's move on from the AMC introduction to uh, actually oddly one of the biggest phenomenons on the movie going planet this this week which I believe uh, some pundits described as uh, the transition from Jordan Peele going uh, as a uh, director unto himself to a brand unto himself uh, the likes of which Christopher Nolan manages to command uh, because people were going to see this film because it is a Jordan Peele film and if we notice some of the branding uh, for this film which again I didn't watch a lot of the trailers and this is one of those cases where I'm really glad I didn't watch a lot of the trailers I saw the first few seconds and it was like a big from jordan peele and i was like sold i'm in i'm here to see jordan peele can i tell you i i am uh normally in camp trailer Mm -hmm. um the first trailer for this movie was easily one of the best trailers i'd seen in a while the sound mixing alone was a thing of magic it didn't give anything away every piece of imagery and sound was visceral i loved it i could not fucking wait i think that's the one you saw a piece of I saw a this, piece of, yeah. yeah, the second trailer, which gives away more of the plot, not not the meaning behind it or what actually happens, but like I guess I'll I'll just say for now because we're not in full spoiler territory. It gives away the main character's goals. Mm-hmm. 
while I think that concept is crazy interesting and I like it and I like what it says about the characters and what the overall meaning for it, you know, spectacle is the big word that Jordan Peele's been using on his press tours. Mm-hmm. What it says about spectacle and the concept of it that we, you know, engage with as humans. It That second trailer made it feel, and I knew it wouldn't be, way more pedantic than mm-hmm. the first trailer. Like the first trailer felt like, uh, a movement, and and the second trailer felt like yeah, a movie. Yeah, like uh, but I'm happy to report uh, the first trailer is far more accurate, I think, to what we got. Well, let's let's discuss that because I think uh, we have a lot to discuss when it comes yeah. to this particular movie, and I am eager to to get on with it. But 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 with that in mind, regardless of whether you watch the trailer or not, if you haven't listened, if you haven't watched the movie at this point, I would recommend go seeing it. But Matt, for the people who have watched it and are still here. Could you tell us what Nope is about? The residents of a lonely gulch in inland California bear witness to an uncanny and chilling discovery. That is from the IMDb motion picture, uh, you know, database. Uh, yeah, that's what it is. That's I, what IMDb said. I buy it. I buy it. I buy it a lot. Um, I, I think that's actually a great description of the movie. <laughs> it's the Internet Movie Database. I don't know why I got the like the anagram wrong. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, yeah, I've only done this 386 other times. Um, yeah, I mean, that's accurate. Again, I think that's more akin to trailer one. Matt, you just watched this movie. I did. Think? I watched it yesterday. Okay. Uh, wow. Well, fuck. Uh, I... Really, 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 really liked this movie. Okay. Um, this is one of those films that I know for a fact we're going to talk about this thing for a little bit now. Mm-hmm. And I know for a fact that, like, I think, like, I still got like 50% of this movie that I need to, like, it went over my head and I need to watch it again to sort of get different things. Or, like, every, every time I, when I was doing research for this episode, I kept finding new takes and new, like, oh, well, it, this is actually could be the, this and this, that, and the other thing. Not specifically of, like, what happens. Sometimes there's that. But sort of, like, uh, I don't know, directorial intent mm-hmm. or, like, or the way, readings, readings of the film. And this is a summer blockbustery film that has a bunch of different readings to it. And, like, that's exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Everything normally in this space and this time does not. Like, every once in a while, you get a sort of everything everywhere all at once. But I wouldn't call that a blockbuster, even though it is a wonderful film. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I just... I'm like I'm 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 tapping my legs under my desk right now. I'm I'm so sort of like pumped to sort of like talk about uh, the the variety of different angles we can attack this from. Shahir, I, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but you're obviously a fan of uh, Get Out, and uh, I forget if Us hit for you though. Um. So yes, I am an absolute fan of Get Out. I recall seeing that <laughs> you and I did a um a bang bang uh, to use a, a phrase from a from a poorly received comedian, which was that we I, well actually maybe I did it with somebody else, but I went to see Logan uh, with you, and then I caught the train and went to see Get Out on the way home. So it was like uh, th- th- this comedian uh, who shall not be named used to described as doing a bang bang where they would go eat at two restaurants for lunch. Um. Uh. The uh, and I, and both those experiences were wonderful. Both those movies are amazing. And Get Out uh, with an audience was probably one of the singularly most uh, gratifying experience, movie-going experiences you could possibly have. Uh, I was not as enamored with Us, uh, although I really, really liked it upon reflection. It was yeah. a movie that didn't quite land for me while in the moment, but did land for me the more I thought about it on the way out the door. And I have to say, 
For me, Nope is following that exact same trajectory. If we were to plot, plot that in a linear line in terms of um, uh, the amount of gratification I get from a movie, which is, you know, suffice to say, diminishing um, uh, versus... I agree with you in, in many parts that there is a lot to discuss in this film and, and many of the discussions I think will enrich the experience of having watched this film and will and, and perhaps uh, create a better rewatch experience for me. But for me personally, the moment-to-moment experience of actually watching in this in a theater was more a sense of befuddlement than enjoyment. Uh, I am befuddled by that statement. Uh, I, while there are, without a doubt, magnificent moments within and, and um, really beautiful command of the space and the idea of creating a spectacle and, and what that means, I did find the actual sort of underlying tension of what the basic tenets of this particular genre of film should do this the summer blockbuster the spectacle the actual sort of the creature feature um to to not be functioning in the way that i think i would have hoped uh at this point and then um the the actual emotional connection that i had with the film was actually pretty lacking as well and i have that's uh, fucking nuts and i want to go through in specific detail um the many of the moments i've I've kind of well many of the actual uh story points that are happening in this movie to to, to discuss them but i think this is you know i'm actually looking forward to us having that conversation because i think um that get ready for a classic (laughs) matt and shahir scream fest (laughs) well just given that that your experience versus it was so fucking good like the the thing about this movie and we'll get into it with your specific list i'm sure Mm -hmm. uh i felt that nothing was wasted. Mm-hmm. This was every part of the animal consumed. Right. Like, to the point of, like, just everything was so balanced. There was, if something was mentioned, it was never thrown away and it was always a callback to an emotionally resonant, like, point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, again, it's hard to get into without, like, full blown spoilers sort of things, but like naming conventions or locations or reasonings or, or, or characters telling stories. Right. Like, each of them, uh, just by the end of it, you look back and you're like, oh, fuck, that was connected. Mm-hmm. The the music, I thought, and the soundscape I, I was... Loved the, I love the score from, uh, uh, I, I can't believe, uh, Alexander Abel, I think it was the name was. Yeah. And and the references and use of other existing songs. The my wear my sungla- I wear my sunglasses at night, the Corey Hart spectacular... Uh, in in the Jeep as it was sort of losing power and going real slow. It just sounded cool and creepy. And then you're like, oh shit, sunglasses at night actually could tie into mechanics of how this sort of works. Holy shit. When the director guy starts quoting Flying Purple People Leader, you're like, oh fuck. Like there's there's just connections with music in this that I really enjoy. Even the first trailer had a really, really lovely uh connection with um I'm trying to remember the the name of the um Michael the the track that was used. Uh, uh it doesn't it doesn't matter. But the the and then like it also uses callback or nostalgia to things 
not as just the dopamine level hit to your brain of like, ah, I understood that reference, haha, I'm enjoying myself, but also like uses it to talk through, to, to reference deep-seated, honestly, emotional motivation for characters, and we'll get into how, but like a, a sweatshirt from the fucking crew of the Scorpion King <laughs> film is in this movie. And it has meaning. It's it first is a throwaway joke, and then it has meaning due to different naming conventions. Hmm. Uh, I thought the character work uh, between all of the actors as their characters, OJ, uh, Emerald, uh, Angel, and Antlers Holtz, the director. I thought this was such a fucking fun, cool, odd, uh, and even Jupe, played by Stephen Yoon, who's a little bit out on the sides of this. Uh, one might call a bit of an antagonist in the film, but it all depends on your read. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, there's the uh, the uh, complete commentary uh, built around uh, the commodity of uh, Hollywood using people as commodity and then basically chewing them up and spitting them out right. for different reasons. Uh, there is so much fucking going on in this movie beyond oh shit flying saucer that I the the horror in it for me was not the uh the human horror of uh the way racism affects humanity of get out and not the um, sort of like darkness in us all based on the darkness of corporate greed or whatever, the, the sort of like us scenario. Mm-hmm. This is the fear of thinking you have something in control and you don't. Hmm. And uh, the, in specifics, in this film, that comes a couple different ways, but one of the continual motifs is dealing with animals and animal training. Right. And that can be read a bunch of different ways, too. Like, I don't know. I, I, I'm i happy to go at it on your point to point because, uh, like, I, I, I cannot sing enough praises for this movie. I was not expecting to like this movie as much as I did, but it hit every note. It was it was both giant and bombastic and spectacle and highly emotionally reson- uh, resonant to me in its smaller moments based on based on. All of the different building blocks it sets up to knock down for you to see the secret sort of underneath. Like, I just, I am, I am down. So I I don't disagree with anything that you're, uh, that you're singing praises about. In fact, if those moments land, land for you, then, then that is the correct, correctly intended moment to moment experience of the film. I think where the movie doesn't work for me is that the, emotional investment that the story pertains to a what the creature is and then what the story that this that this the surrounding story of what the creature does is as a as a um as an object to these characters you know like not not just that it's a monster but it's actually a um uh a catalyst within the world of these characters to bring them together to help solve a communal problem i found that that was more confusing than revelatory and the so let's let's we should we should jump into spoilers because this will all this all has to do with spoilers um so if you haven't seen the movie yeah. nope on out of here nope on out of here and, go see it and come back right about meow um but let's let's talk about gordy 
and jupe yeah. <laughs> which which opens the film uh to to quite to an extent and then and then comes back with long extended flashback sequences that is explaining the story of what of of gordy the chimpanzee that um was part of the television show that jupe was involved with as a child jupe is of course played by stephen young uh as a grown-up and jupe has now uh grown up to start a uh, a kind of a a theme park called Jupiter. What was it called? Jupiter's something. Uh, it's like Jupe's Ranch. Jupiter's, Jupiter's something. Ranch. I, yeah, I, yeah. I can't remember exactly. But essentially, what we learn there is that uh, Gordy was um, there's there's a sitcom back in the day. Yeah. Called Gordy's House. Yeah. And it was one of those classic bullshit, you know, <laughs> late '80s, early '90s sitcoms that <laughs> othered something really hard. You think yeah. of like Alf, or you know, like I don't know, just whatever. Mystery. It doesn't. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Mystery. Sure. Yeah. But like it was basically a chimpanzee lived with the family yeah. uh, who also had an adopted Asian son, a yeah. white family. Okay. And one day due to a balloon uh hitting a uh hot light, uh it 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 popped and and it triggered something in Gordy or the ape that played Gordy and it brutally mauled uh many of the cast members, I think killing a few of them. Right. Uh, and and then I think in the story it's like and for six minutes before like someone like they evacuated the set and for six minutes like it was just chaos right and uh, that to me uh, set a real emotional tone because that's the first thing you kind of see actually the first thing you see which is this hyper disturbing image is one of the characters on the you're, you're looking at the set from the back so you see the empty audience and a bloody scene and like crashes coming around mm. and you see a shoe with the one blood stain on it, perfectly stood up on its heel. Like like the action happened and something something so... I took the shoe to mean a couple different things, but in this moment, it's like, it, once you sort of look back at it, like, this is the one in a million thing that happened. Right. The shoe landed on its heel and stayed. Gordy, the trained ape, went, no pun intended, ape shit and murdered a bunch of people. Right. Um... And that sort of sets this the, the tone for not only not only the use of animals in Hollywood or the taming of 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 animals for either burden or entertainment or spectacle, but how that can be read as the Hollywood system or or because uh, then because with Jupe's character, he's one of the survivors. He uh, was a child star, I think, before that, who was in a, a movie called Kid Sheriff, and mm. that's why he has this ranch. He's like playing off of his, you know his his previous fame um but you know he was a child star whose career went down because of this thing like the, the something happened around him uh brutal and it sort of ended his career so now he does a theme park based on a, a movie he was when he was a kid right um i felt like it was it, between jupe and oj's sort of um reverence they, they they revered animals and and training and power and the agreement between these things in two very different ways hmm. jupe due to what happened to him at the end of that horror show felt as though he was i don't want to the term could be changed based on your belief structure but gifted or special or an exception to the rule he was the survivor because of a very specific thing that happened to him when he was a kid in a horror in a horror scene yeah um whereas oj's uh working at a horse ranch 
uh, for to train horses for Hollywood stunts uh, comes at it as a bit more of a like put in the time had a super like you have to make I think he, he says something along the lines of like you, you you have to you can never fully train something like that you make deals with it yeah, you understand you can't train a predator you have to negotiate with it yeah you negotiate with it yeah and I think that concept is really fucking interesting so to look at these two characters who at the end of this or during the, the course of this movie are training different beasts or animals in different ways or attempting it mm-hmm. based on each of their explained experiences about their childhoods, uh, I think is just hyper interesting. Yeah, I think I, I think the way you've described it is really interesting. And I think the way that you, a rewatch might allow that interpretation is really interesting, but the way that it actually plays out in the film is that you don't spend a lot of time with Stephen Young's character as a grown-up, um, and and you are meant to interpret the way he acts based upon these very long extended flashback sequences of what has happened to him, yeah, which but, aren't clear. But I uh, did like that's the thing. Like I just no, got I, all I those get. I, I I'm I, again not disagreeing with your with your experience of it, but for me, my experience of it was. I found that Stephen Yun as a grown man who has that one scene where he explains that the, you know that this thing happened to him and then describes an SNL sketch sketch um, to you know where he, he kind of suggests that that is the better way of understanding it. Then not really understanding that he is here to put on a spectacle for the audience or that his hubris hasn't really allowed him to understand that he got away with that situation, not because of divine intervention, but because of just dumb luck. Um, but, I, but I the, found the, that moment-to-moment moment kind of experience more befuddling. And, and, and then to compare that to um, OJ's character, whose major traumatic moment in this film is when his father dies at the very beginning of the film, which has very little to do with his understanding of horses and training and what have you. That's actually just more of this like, oh shit, you know, coins are falling out of the skies kind of thing. By the way, that is a moment uh, I was very disappointed in the trailers for having basically revealed the entirety of. Uh, when I watched the trailers afterwards, I was like, oh my God. Oh, they- because it shows a horse going away and him falling off it? Oh yeah, and then and then it shows the next scene where he's, uh, where they say, oh, if, you know, your father was killed by this freak accident. Oh, does it? I don't even remember. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, that like, second pretty trailer made just gives it, The trailer just gives away that entire moment, which again, I thought was a really effective played moment um but as those two opposing forces meld their way through the film i found them i I found particularly the stephen yun character the jupe character's narrative to be sort of um unusually placed in my opinion and and not particularly enthralling and then there was this sort of counter uh effect as well which is which I thought was just sort of um, a, a strange thing to have experienced on this particular film, which was that the flashback sequences for me were far more compelling and scary and filled with tension than the actual scenes of the uh, of the alien, the creature attacking. Oh, I thought it was a mirror, man. Uh, like I, I, I found, I, I thought I, it was. I found the creature attacking scenes to be fairly devoid of tension because I often was trying to figure out what the mechanics 
of what was happening was. Whereas in the extended flashback scenes, which ultimately are just uh, are there to help us give some context for how one character reacts, those particular scenes were filled with more dread, tension, and more of the thing that that uh, OJ is talking about in terms of dealing with a predator and deal and negotiating your way with a with a with an animal. I found that actually more compelling in that scene than it was in the actual scenes where the main story is happening. Um, and, and I, and I found that experience really sort of befuddling because I was like, wow, why are the actual main scenes of this thing happening, playing out sort of in a way that isn't filled with tension or dread? Oh, Whereas see, I, I'm confused the, if we watched the same movie, yeah, man. We may, like, we may not have. Like maybe, maybe one of us watched a fan cut. <laughs> but uh, I, I honestly, I, I, I found the actual... Like the moment-to-moment investigation of what the thing was in the sky to be not filled with the same kind of exquisite tension that is built up in that opening scene where there are coins falling out of the sky and you're like, what is happening? And the monkey scene where you're like, how are we going to escape this? I see. I I took it as if you look at the you know an, an, an analogy of the way that this movie I think makes two different very different stories in different times resonate with one another. Mm-hmm. I want to go back and sort of it, it felt to me a very a bit midsummery because mm-hmm. remember at the beginning of midsummer uh, amazing sequence to open midsummer yeah horrible horrible yeah. horrible wonderful horrible yeah. sequence yeah uh, that is used then to. Uh, give almost a shorthand to some reasoning and some experiences later in the film. Right. I think this does that as well. Um, I think that, and and then we haven't even brought in Kiki Palmer's sort of character, which is the, um, she's she's the star of the show. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, who is basically the daughter of the, you know, OJ's sister who, uh, was, uh, never quite given the, uh, responsibility at the uh, horse training ranch from her father Otis, played by Keith David, um, who b- basically like th- there's a whole thing about how they never like trusted her enough to do it, and the joke was like you were going on the thing to go to Scorpion King, and you know there was a horse named Jean Jack that I was supposed to train, but that job came up, and Dad didn't trust me, so he took you, and like there's a whole thing, and like but you looked at me and said like you kind of let me know that you thought I could, you know that there's a lot sort of there, and then in the end of the movie. Uh, you know whether or not certain characters survive or not or how you sort of interpret that uh emerald sort of saves the day and uh has finally wrangled jean jacket which is the nickname that uh oj gives the the alien due to believing that his sister can do what she's trying to do like again i go back to their small little things like horse names that don't fucking mean anything until they absolutely do. Like it, I, I feel like this is l- every possible bit of information uh, is used in a exquisite sort of love letter to meaning. Even down to uh, fuck man, like every character. So so it's funny. I think I think Jupe and OJ are in the. Uh, movie about like how uh, society or predators or, or things sort of you, you have to you have to m- maneuver 
between different rules and regulations, then you are never fully in control. I think there's different characters that bring different um, different angles to what the in- inspection of the concept of spectacle are. Right. Case in point, Angel Torres, uh, played by Brandon Piera, <laughs> uh, is sort of like the everyman Best Buy worker yeah. who is like, just happy to be there like yeah. happy to be part of the spectacle no matter what's happening no matter what sort of is horrible like he's gonna be there like he'll help out like do you need something like whatever there's that there's the uh cinematographer uh antlers holst uh uh played by michael <laughs> Wincott, Boy, who... when, he, when he opened his mouth and <laughs> and took this call i was like bro this is not how this call will go down it's so good <laughs> like i like that like he's a, he's a great actor by the yeah. way you know like i, I love him but yeah uh, he uh, like I, I love and this is we're getting into spoilers i love that he sacrifices himself for a better shot they get <laughs> the shot they film the alien their their thing works and he's like it's going to be golden hour soon. <laughs> and he like goes up to try to get a better shot and dies. Right. And to me, like, again, that is, that is such a, just again, a tiny piece of this movie, but like what we are willing to sacrifice for spectacle. Right. The TMZ guy on the motorcycle. Right. Like just needs it all on camera. Can't do it. Did you film me crashing? Like, like there's all of these different like angles of how humans are are always going to interact with something that is a spectacle no matter hor- what what do you call a bad miracle i honestly think the answer to that is spectacle right like i think that's the fucking name and i think it's so goddamn cool that this thing can do all of that heavy lifting i i'm trying to figure out where my connection point is or why I was able to glean all this personal meaning from the film came from. And to be honest, I, I, I find a lot of my ways into things like this is sound design. Yeah, the sound is beautiful. Sound is really, um, really stunning. Uh, I think the way that it, it, that to me, and again, you were saying how you weren't, you weren't sort of enamored or you didn't have that sense of dread or fear from the monkey scene in the alien in the alien scenes. I agree that it is different, but I think the because of how it is handled again, you know what? Actually, this might be a mirror. Here we go. So the the Gordy scenes mm-hmm. are terrifying. Yeah. Because if you have any empathy with animals, if you if you have a pet, if you like animals in general, you can kind of see great CG work and great work by the mocap actor uh, doing the the chimp movements, but like there's a scaredness and a violence and a not un- then like when the the chimp comes down, not understanding what's going on, even like tapping the foot of the woman that he just brutally beat, like to be like you know checking if she's okay, and then of course going up to young Stephen or going up to young Jupe and doing the thing that he's trained to do to like to like know that he did a good job, which is a fist bump. That's the bloody hand you see coming creeping under the table that you think was an alien hand it is not it's a monkey like in the fist sort of mm-hmm. coming at it before before uh um uh, gordy is is shot in the head by security right like th- so like that is a moment of pure visceral nightmarish terror because you understand as best as a human being can sort of what we think is going on in that animal's mind mm. right whereas 
the tension from the alien, and by the way, just so we're very clear at this point, the alien, which is a nice little fun twist that I always enjoy and I think is super fucking cool, it's not an alien ship, it's a actual animal. Like, it's a, it's a alien, it, it's Jaws, but upside down. It's in the sky, and its cover is a fucking cloud. And I love how they yeah. discover it. They just film a camera and they time lapse it. And there's one fucking cloud on the ridge that's not moving. And it's so fucking good. Because, again, that's the kind of thing an animal would think would work because it works 90% of the time. Like, it, God, it's so fucking good. It, it's, it's really good that you mentioned the film that I think it's been compared to a lot, which is Jaws. Uh, which we which we've reviewed on this show as well. Um, and in terms of um, basically the same kind of mechanic that Jaws has, which is that the 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 creature becomes metaphorical for the struggle uh, of of the of the main character, the chief. Brody. Yes, but the, but the the big point that I was getting to, and I'm so sorry, I just I didn't get to finish my thought. One was the visceral terror of of a beast out of control, right? Mm. The the other terror is trying to the, the side of OJ and the alien itself is trying to figure out how to be in control and not and realizing that you can't be in every situation like so far. Like there's there's a different way that they enact with one another. Mm-hmm. And I thought that the reason maybe that that didn't resonate with you was that one is visceral and raw and fierce. And another one is not based in fear, but the sort of like the, the oh, what's the word I'm looking for? The knowing that you don't know. And that is scary. Not, right. not like the, oh, fuck. Look at this monster, which is weird because you're thinking it's a giant fucking alien that's eating people. But, but like, but OJ, you, you would agree that OJ then has a sort of better sense of how to negotiate the creature and comes up with this sort of like quite elaborate plan for what to do in this situation, right? Yes, based yeah. on based on his experiences with animals, which we haven't quite seen, but we you know we we kind of get a a sense that he he has. There's that one scene with the horse at the beginning where they shine a a reflective light in his in a, in the horse's face, and he's like, "Hey, you can't do that." Um, but he kind of um, uh, comes up with a plan. You know, he he kind of interpolates what this is, despite you know like being a you know it, it's it's sort of he's interpreting a lot here. Um, and the thing is, the mechanic of what the creature is doing to was confusing to me as well because the, they at one point suggest that the the creature is feeding when it's hungry. Yet it comes back and eats almost forty people in this one uh, situation, then vomits them all up specifically around this house. Um, and well, then it, comes it heard back, the noises again. What's that? It, the reason it came there was it it heard it, so it was going to continue to feed. But, yeah, but then the, you know, like they they kind of suggest as well that like. Um, they're safe during the daytime. It's not, you know, once it's fed, it's not going to come back again. They never say they're safe in the daytime. But they said it's not going to come back during the day, right? Like they, they no, they said it wouldn't come back after because it already uh, ate. It is because it's already ate. So then, yeah. the next night it eats forty people, uh, which we presume it hasn't done before, um, because forty people haven't disappeared in this in in the sequence in the sequence of events that we've. Well, watched. so what what I understand is that Jupe's been feeding at horses. Right. right, like that's what we gather. Right, but then I think the 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 one in a million thing happens, and something changes, and it decides that no, nah, I'm just going to do the whole fucking thing because it's here. Like, <laughs> right, it, right. it's, and, it's and a I, thing I, that the deal didn't get done right. correctly on. And 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 then there was also the suggestion that if it's eaten these um, 
these flags, for example, it's going to mess up its stomach and it's not going to want to, it's not going to try those things again. Right? Uh, yes, there's a thing because he like has a, uh, because it, it seemed like it was uh, acting different once it ate like a horse with a flag tied right. and to it, it. And it vomits up the whole sort of yeah. crew back onto the house. Um, yeah. yeah, I I found a lot of that to be... Again, like I say, more befuddling. You know, whereas the moment-to-moment of the monkey, which I, whose story I didn't even know what was, I, I didn't even really fully understand what was happening. I was like, I get kind of what is going on here. Uh, in in the case of Jaws, I get what is going on here. In the case of a film, a more oblique film like Under the Skin uh, with Scarlett Johansson, where it's really hard to figure out. You, you're like, okay, I kind of get what's going on here. And I and and the problem was is that sense of befuddlement undercut the tension of those scenes where I wasn't really scared or or feeling high strung or feeling like there was a lot of tension there. I kind of was just more feeling like, well, what is happening here? And then why is this all going to play out? And then, for example, as we get to the end, when a character turns up who is a TMZ reporter with an electric bike and a, and a, re- a highly reflective uh, helmet, which we presume is sort of metaphorically like the helmet that the person wore in front of the horse at the beginning of the... Uh, oh, and- no. I took that as the reflective helmet was meant to be us. It is meant to be the audience. We are seeing a reflection. No, It's no one's face. It's everyone who's looking at its face. Right. But, but from a mechanical point of view of the creature... Right, like that is going to antagonize the creature more, right? Is it? That, uh, I didn't. I didn't get that. Right, and then and and the actual like I get the metaphor of what you're saying that that is us, the audience, and it's and and the way that we would react to it. But it also felt like as, as an actual like there's this character that appears on the screen. I was like, this is not a human being. This is a uh, like, it's an idea. It's an it's idea. A concept. Turning, like the, suddenly there's I this idea turning that. up on scene. I love it. Real, and, and, note, and I kind of felt that way about the cinematographer as well. You know, like these were like not people, but ideas of people. And, I loved it. And, uh, I was going to say the, the the Jaws the Jaws thing back right. and forth. This movie is if Jaws had forty minutes and a side plot about why Quint was the way Quint was. Right. Yeah. And that's but, fucking but Quint, dope tells us like he is he explains it in a Jupe story tells us jupe doesn't tell us he we, does the audience see it in a flashback that is not prompted by jupe jupe tells we learn from jupe's story <laughs> and through flashback and the middle point between what actually happened and why that character does what he does right and yes and, they there's no flashback in jaws i'm saying i think and, this and, is more effective that, than it's just a story that, it's a story that, and a flashback that flashback is not prompted by anyone in the story going back to that story and figuring it out, right? Like That's it, the brilliant part because because the only time a character talks to him about that is his telling. He tells the joke version with Chris Kattan mm. playing off Mr. Peepers, being Gordy in an SNL sketch and he relives it that way and talks about a couple who gave me $90,000 to stay in this shrine, like all this shit. And it's all fucking showmanship and bullshit. That's what it is. They're trying to say that the people do, like his particular character has modified this to do this so he can survive and have his own way of thinking about what he's doing and why he's doing things. Whereas the truth that we are shown, granted, we are shown sporadically and and elongated versions so that to build tension as to why things are happening. Explain it entirely when you look at both of those pieces put together. I think it's fucking fascinating. I'm so sorry I, you I'm, don't. I'm, I'm glad that you had that experience, but oh. I did find myself throughout the movie just kind of going, 
what is happening here? Like, like oh. and, and you know, there's there's this again. If we think about Jaws, where the actual mechanics like are beautifully, and the, and the characters are written beautifully as well, and it kind of like all plays together really, really wonderfully. To an opposite film like Under the Skin, where you're like, it's very confusing, and 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 it's hard to actually gauge. But like emotionally, you can tell that there is like an actual. Um, uh, resonant through line that is pulling you in whether you understand the story or not. I was not in either place for this particular movie, for this particular experience. I, again, reading as many think pieces as I can on why the film works and why people love the film, I'm like, great. I, I get that it's a central metaphor for the way in which we interpret uh, monsters and and the actual... Um, the the interplay of like stop motion photography at the at the beginning. By the way, this led me down a rabbit hole of Edward Moybridge, who uh, or Maybridge, who was the person who photographed that initial horseman. You know the 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 yeah the, the black the, the black man on a horse. I, I, Again, that analogy is perfect for Hollywood. The Hollywood system just eating people up and chewing the and spitting them out when they're done with them. No one remembered who that man was. Like the like that's the whole like th- that is a little bit of an invention there. on Jordan Peele's part. By the way, there was quite uh, a quite a documentation of of, of Edward Maybridge, Maybridge's uh, approach to that, by the way, uh, just the, of, the, of the man on the horse. Yeah, uh, the, like we everyone knows his name and everything. I well, mean, that it's was not it's not an unknown thing. It's just Maybridge kind of you know like would photograph a lot of people on horses. Um, but and, no one. But but the point that they were making, and I want to make sure that I'm clear on this. Not that it particularly matters. I yeah. think for my enjoyment, one way or the other. But are you saying that? That man's name is well documented, and we can find that person's name. Or you can could find be how Maybridge approached those things, but not uh, the man on the horse. That's the point. That's the whole point of what they're saying. Right, right. Uh, I, but does that? How does that story relate to the final images of of them taking the photographs? It is. It is sacrifice for spectacle. Right, and that that for, man that, on that, the and horse that was moves, sacrificed, and that moves. That was the first moving image, mm-hmm. not whether or not it was the, the well-known first moving image. And the man in that moving image is forgotten. Right. We, we have plaques for men with firsts in everything so that they won't be forgotten. And the first moving image for, for a technology that has defined literally everyone who's listening to this podcast and probably six million other people's lives or billion like is forgotten that is i like the way that they use that story as a showmanship but i'm gonna i'm gonna go out on a limb here and say there's a lot of people that were filmed at the beginning of uh, of cinema whose names we will never know yes but but that is the fame that's the famous thing of course there's always people that are doing things in the trial things of whatever that is a known quantity and the and the subject is unknown. Like there's something fucked up about that. I I like the way that that eventually correlates to the idea that she takes individual stop photographs of on the tintype press uh, thing. Yeah, yeah, the oh. daguerreotype press or whatever it is um, of that. I I do like that idea. Um, but again, like the mechanics of how we get there and. And what is happening in those scenes completely for me personally had had were devoid of tension. I was not on the edge of my seat as we as she rode up to Jupiter's uh, uh, Jupiter's ranch and then launched up Mr. Big Boy into the sky. I was like, oh, is that is that how we're going to, you know, like that's what's going to happen right now. OK, cool, cool, cool. I, I just I was not like 
I was not engaged in what was happening at that primal level that I think would make this scene really work and make those final scenes really, really play. Right. I mean, I, for me, for me, it, it wasn't about the oh my gosh, how's she going to defeat the alien? Because that's literally what this movie is not telling you. Like, it's it's the entire no, no, runtime. Maybe this is why. Aliens, maybe like, this is why it didn't connect. The the like the the how and why of the mechanic of stopping it is not the point, and therefore it is not treated with the reverence and the edge of your seatness that you might be expecting from a from a monster film. Hmm. Um, the, the point is the different journey that all the characters went on. Case in point, the the way the reason why I think this might work for some people and maybe not, and I, I might have just nailed it for myself. This movie is scattershot as hell, but but like, and I'm talking about yeah. like it's and, it's, and it's, that's it's, how it's I shot. It. It's scattershot. Shot. Yeah. But here's the thing: every one of those BBs out of that fucking shotgun shell hit a goddamn bullseye. There's just fifty small bullseyes, and I find that exercise. Like a breath of fucking fresh air. Like it is so, dare I say, effervescent. Uh, <laughs> to, to have a movie and, and this and one of those bullseyes, one of those tiny bullseyes, is a dumb fucking flying saucer movie. Like it, it, it manages to play highbrow and lowbrow and everything in between. You can take something from this from every goddamn level. And I fuck man. It, uh God damn, this is a good movie. <laughs> I, uh, like, again, here, the, the, the thing for me is that this is not in any way uh, a diminishment of Jordan Peele's abilities here or his craftsmanship or making bad decisions. I, I think he made the film that he set out to make. Like, I, I don't, I don't uh, I in no way want to suggest that that uh, he th these are uh, errors or, or anything. What I'm finding is that the clarity of the emotion, the clarity of which that story is told led me to a place where I was unemotionally invested in, in most of which what was happening on screen. Oh. And, I, and, and again, the sort of most telling thing for me was that the, the moment to moment experience of the flashback, which has no correlatory effect to what is happening in front other than to tell us a little bit of information about how a character will react. The moment to moment experience of the flashback was more compelling than the actual moment to moment experience of the central driving story. Disagree. I think they were different. I think they were a yin and yang. I think that they balanced each other quite perfectly. I think I think to to summarize it down to that sort of level is like th it, this works on the esoteric upper echelon version of like ah trauma begets trauma mm. to literally man feeding aliens is now causing the thing to go run amok. Like it, it works on and at every just tier between and, and look i i'm not going to convince you and i i don't i don't think you're going to convince me i think it's interesting that we both saw the same thing and uh got something curse. completely different which again kind of could play back to how the movie is dealing with uh characters seeing similar things and reacting to them differently <laughs> reacting to them very uh, differently Anyway, I, I, I want to point out this one thing that I was actually I actually did think was really cool. The movie is, called, is shot by Hoyt Van uh, Hoytsma, who uh, has worked with Christopher Nolan, has worked on um, uh, a film that I didn't see that you uh, saw on the podcast, Ad Astra. Shot one of my favorite film, my favorite favorite 
designed movies in the last 10 years, which was Spike Jones's Her. And uh, there was this experience of watching the nighttime sequences where I was like, wow, these, these nighttime sequences are shot and, and graded in such a way that I'm actually sort of watching them with a sort of sense of, I felt like there was a lot of digital manipulation that was going on. Um, but in fact, when I read uh, what they had done, I got very excited. And and I want to say this like in this way, because I got very excited because in 2017, I was approached by someone to pitch some ideas for a particular technical problem that they were having, uh, a technical and creative problem that they were having. And in 2017, I, I put together this paper or this, this very short description of um, basically how to how to um, uh, combine both a uh, infrared camera and a and a, uh, a a standard color camera together, and my pitch was use a, a, stere- a stereoscopic rig at an interocular level of zero. Uh, essentially, that uh, if if you haven't seen a stereoscopic rig before, that's a three D camera rig, uh, which has basically a ca- two cameras at ninety degrees to each other with a mirrored plane in between them, and the more that you deviate that uh, the the cameras from the ninety degrees, the more you create an interocular split. So, uh, and that's how you get the 3D effect. And what I was saying is don't use it for the 3D effect. Use it for the fact that you get two mirrored images side by side that you could then composite together for interesting effects. So one camera would be shooting infrared and one camera would be shooting uh, a standard digital negative that you could then combine. And that is how they achieved the nighttime scenes in this film. And I was very, I, I was just personally very chuffed that this theory that I had in 2017 about how to combine uh, or, or create uh, a, a, a greater dynamic range of image using two cameras and an interscopic, uh, a stereoscopic image was actually being employed in this film. And that's what gave those nighttime sequences this really unique look because the problem with the nighttime sequences is how do you expose for something that is happening miles and miles away yeah. um, with a camera that is uh, shooting at nighttime to begin with. Um, and that was the problem that I was trying to solve back then. Um, and, and it was very cool to see. I think there's a little bit more to this as well, which is that my eyes kind of jumped a little bit in the way that the nighttime sequences were shot, which is that I felt, and I could be wrong about this just because of the way the color grading was done. It's actually not necessarily in a traditional film sense. It's not necessarily possible unless you do a lot of finagling but i actually i felt like what was happening at least the experience that i had was that the nighttime sequences particularly when they were shooting up into the sky and looking at the um at the alien kind of jumping around um were shot at a higher frame rate a la what was done in the hobbit um mixed in with a 24 frame deliverable a 24 frame dcp oh, i didn't get that um that's just what i felt watching it and i did watch mm. it in an excellent theater um so i did liked, you see it imax or no I, I did not see it in imax Neither i saw it I. in a traditional dcp in a dolby atmos the, um i um, saw dolby atmos as well. yeah yeah so, yeah. so uh i liked all that technical stuff uh and the, the technical problems on yeah that was just the personal thing but of um, course you saw the fan cut I did see the fan cut. <laughs> yeah, I did see, the, and, and and I, you know, and I, I will come back to my um, my thing here, which is that I was. Um, I, you're right, which is that the storytelling to me was scattershot, and and while I felt there were many of the all the pieces at play were hitting at something, they weren't coalescing for me, and uh, if they weren't coalescing, the problem is. 
the back half of the film was more, as I say, befuddling uh, than it was um, enjoyable and and cathartic or or even like um, resonant. I, I think I just I didn't have those experiences. And then when I walked out of the theater, um, you know, coming back to Anika's email at the beginning, um, the comments I heard from the audience that I saw it with, uh, I walked out of it and they were like, this is not only, <laughs> I, I overheard this direct quote, this is not only Jordan Peele's uh, worst film of the three that he's made, it is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my lifetime. And, that person is an idiot. And I wouldn't say that person was an idiot. I would. <laughs> I just did. Um, but but I have I found that comment echoed a lot, which is that when you're not on the wavelength of, of that scattershot approach, there was a part of me that wondered if that scattershot approach was... You know, because because the amount of time that I spent like going, you know, it, why does a film like Jaws work and this not work, is also separated by forty years of filmmaking and forty years of of changing in in our media consumption and the way that we 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 connect um, cinematic dots together. Um, so I wondered if it was just a, a sort of a case that there is a place for this sort of scattershot approach. Uh, but again, I. I would consider myself a fairly uh, savvy film goer who's able Which to... Which is why I am to, shocked to discern, by, discern those alternate approaches. And this was not one of those experiences where I actually felt that those that scattershot approach actually led to a greater part. There was a thing, which is that I, I felt like the film was not greater than the sum of its parts. Oh, you are... You are... Uh, you, you, do I agree with Shahir? <laughs> nope. Ever? Uh, uh, no, sometimes I do. In this particular case, I don't know what fan cut you saw, man. I I got nothing. This movie, it, it was both 50 bullseyes, but it was all on one emotionally resident target for me. Like, I was fucking here for But again, we're just going to go back and forth. We're not going to agree. This we, has been the only podcast about the film. Nope. <laughs> Uh, I, I want to say just before we go on that we actually got an email while we were doing this, uh, which I briefly read while we were talking about it, and it does uh, it does um, mirror what I'm saying. So it'd be good to interesting that we go. Do we want to read it right now? Uh, no, let's save it for another episode. It'd be, good, it'd be good to like it's good to know I'm, at some I'm point that I'm not right just now. a crazy person. <laughs> you just want me. You just want me to be weaker. You want to find me. You want to get me. You you've tr- you know the beast here, and you're trying to negotiate with it in a way. That lets it be more manageable. On a rewatch, maybe my opinion of this film will change. Well, uh, Shahir, yeah. when you are not rewatching the film, nope. Where can folks find you? Uh, people can find me uh, disagreeing with popular opinion on my website, www.shahirdad.com. Uh, that's actually not true, by the way. My website is very rarely updated, so there's no point for you to visit it. Matt, when you are uh, taking a buckshot. Oh, no, none of these metaphors actually sound good. But when you are scattering your thoughts among the wind and hitting all your targets, where can people find you? You can find me being motherfucking Hawkeye over at my website, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Again, I don't update that either. Why do we talk about our websites? (laughs) It's just, it's it's our business cards. 
Right. I guess, but there are business cards from like 2012. Like, I feel like they're just old. If if you've ever gone to email us in and let us know if you've ever gone to our website and be like, why am I looking at something from 2009? Uh, you can also find me uh, on Instagram or PSN at uh, Skeletor for Prez and of course Emperor MSK on the good book that is Twitter. Please email us in about your thoughts about Nope uh, to onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at only movie pod are you in shahir's camp and uh are, are not finding an emotional tether for all of the different targets this thing is trying to hit and therefore it does not work or are you in my camp who is just fucking awesome no <laughs> I, i'm curious i really would like to know I'm, i i love that someone wrote in and agreed with you so now right now it's two versus one and i'm okay with those odds um but you got we got to even those odds out if you agree with matt you got to write in you have to write in. Fuck, this movie is great. This movie is great. This movie is great. This movie is great. Anyway, next week, what are we doing? Uh, there's a bunch of movies out. Right. I'm actually going to go to a special screening of Goodfellas in the theater that I went and saw Nope in. And it was a real... The Bidford Playhouse in um, in Bidford, New York, is beautiful, by the way. Nice. And it's not. It's an independently run movie theater that has Dolby Digital and Dolby Atmos. It's really wonderful. I'm going to go see uh, a screening of Goodfellas there tomorrow night. Uh, rest in peace, Paul Savino. Um... So let's do Goodfellas. No, I, uh, that, that, that is uh, probably a little bit ways out. But uh, we will look up. If you are interested, uh, tweet at us. Tell us what movies you are watching this week and you would like us to discuss. Um, yeah. and, and hopefully we'll need to go. I'm, I'm sure. But if it's I, the gray man, I'm going to be mad. The, the problem is in my brain is I'm sure there is some big movie coming out next week that I don't know the title of. That is. Probably... I could do a whole episode on the Wakanda Forever trailer. Uh, the Wakanda, yeah. Uh, I... I I heard Did you watch that, it? that Bob Marley's No Woman No Cry was Yeah, it's uh, a mix into some Kendrick Lamar stuff yeah, near the end. Yeah. It's it, it, it cool. might be one of the greatest trailers I've ever seen. Hmm. It, it, it's, and it's and you know what? The, the second one whenever they come out with another trailer is going to be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just just leaving it at this one trailer, right? Like they just, should. like you're not not going to go see this movie. Oh, it's so fucking good. <laughs> just, anyway. Here's here okay, can we can I can you just please try this for me? Don't watch the next trailer. Don't watch okay. any more trailers for for Wakanda uh, for for Wakanda forever. Just okay. go see the movie. Okay. Every time I want to watch it, I'll just throw on the original movie. <laughs> yeah. Do that. Do do whatever you got to do. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna go feed a cat. <laughs> Everybody, have a lovely time. Thank you for pumping us into your ear holes yet again. How have you not gotten sick of us? Uh, we'll be back at you with a next uh, with a next film next week. <laughs> Make sure you tame the cat or negotiate with the cat. You cannot tame the cat. Zoe, are we negotiating? <laughs> you bitch, your sweet ass, you are. <laughs> yeah, we are. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye.